This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, everybody. This is Steph, your host of Woods and Waters Project Podcast. I am so glad you are here. We have an epic episode this week. And speaking of this week... I am working on getting Woods and Waters Project podcast back to being weekly. I know the last few months I've been putting an episode out roughly once a month and it's driving me crazy and life is crazy and it's not going to stop, but we're going to get more episodes out there because we have a hell of a lineup of guests and this guest is no different. This week we have Mary Lynn and we're talking beagling as in beagles uh and talking turkey so we are talking about hunting rabbits with beagles what to look for in a good beagle running a kennel how she grew up she is such a badass woman uh mentoring teaching doing all sorts of things from like the kindness of her heart and i have wanted to hunt rabbits behind beagles for a couple years now and haven't had the chance and when i read about mary lynn in her story I really was so pumped that she'd said yes to being on this podcast. And we also talked turkey hunting as well. Like what calls to start with, what calls to call out, all the good stuff. Turkey season in Iowa is just around the corner. And this episode, if, you, if you're like me, will get, get you in all the feels. So join me in this episode of Light Em Up with Woods and Waters Project. This is Mary Lynn. Let's go.
Mary Lynn, can you tell us about yourself, a little bit about yourself? Um, I am born and raised in East Tennessee. I come from uh, a little town called Greenback, uh, raised here with my dad. My, my mother passed away when I was little, so whatever dad did is what I did. So he's the one that got me into hunting and fishing and, and everything else. So we've had a, uh, uh, AKC kennel for probably over a decade. Uh, my dad and my uncle started it. They served for dogs together. And, uh, so my, my favorite two things are my big dogs and running rabbits and, and chasing turkeys. Um, so that's, that's kind of my thing is just be out in the woods as much as I can. So. That's awesome. Yeah. I really wanted to talk about the kennel, light them up kennels. And they started with just breeding rabbit dogs and, and kind of doing a, a very, you know, they would, they would very specific on how to breed the next generation coming up to fit the style that we like. And I took that and started the nonprofit side. It's not a profit. When I say that is, is we do like youth hunts and women hunts for like Artemis and Tennessee Wildlife Federation. Um, just because I feel like what we do is just a, a dying tradition. Um, you don't see a lot of beaglers or, or people out there running, running beagles and rabbits much anymore. It's grown in the area here. I'm not sure about Iowa, but it had definitely grown a lot here in the area and it is starting to pick up and grow back across the states. But I've always had this belief. I started out small hunting with, you know, hunting squirrels with my dad. I feel like a lot of kids now just get thrown right into being deer and they don't get to see how fun a small game can be, especially with beagles and rabbits. You know, they don't have to be as quiet. They can pet these dogs run by. Um, it's just a little bit more interactive versus taking them out to a deer blind on a, on a cold day and they don't see anything. They might not have that passion be fired that's needed to be a good outdoorsman. So I always just wanted to reach out, just share my dogs with people and show why we, what we do and how much fun it is. Never trialed much. You won't see our dogs in trials a lot. Um, they're just more hunting dogs, gun dogs. Um, we've sold a few that people have turned into good, good trial dogs, but that's just not, not our thing. So good gun dogs and good rabbit hunting is our thing. That's awesome. And good fellowship. You always get good fellowship whenever you go on a rabbit hunt. So that's, that's a lot of fun too. So. Yeah. I, I think you and I talked about this on the phone briefly the other day of just um, small game, not being as highlighted as maybe like deer hunting or like other big game or even turkey hunting, uh, some bird hunting, small game just doesn't get the same glory that other types mm -hmm. of hunting does. And you know, the older I get and the more hunting I do, and maybe this changes with age and perspective and everything, but, you know, squirrel hunting is one of like my favorite things to do. And I have been dying to go rabbit hunting with beagles. I've missed a couple opportunities to do that. It just, uh, I knew of a couple times it was happening, but I couldn't make it, I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't go. Uh, and I think it's awesome as someone who's like a kind of recent houndsman, I would say, I, I, you know, I've always hunted with bird dogs, but I recently have coon hounds the last couple of years and getting into that world. And now I've, you know, hunted, um, 
I've hunted deer, hogs, and bear, and coyotes now with hounds just in the last couple of years. And so it just opened my eyes uh, so much to like things that things I was missing that I just really, I just really didn't have a good understanding of. And maybe even had, I didn't have necessarily have a negative outlook on it, but I didn't have anything. I, I wasn't interested in it. And then once I started doing it, I, I love, I love hounds. And I think work, working with fit behind 15 beagles would be pretty sweet. I think that would be quite a show. And I, I think that's so awesome that you do that. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and houndsmen, we all get a bad name. Um, you know, they think uh, that we're taking the, the, sport out of it versus steel hunting but you know the argument can be met it said you know well you're sitting there baiting them in a, a week before you hunt them I mean there's always going to be somebody's opinion about something but there's more to being a houndsman than this the chase and the hunt and the dog you take this, this little puppy you know from from six weeks old and you develop and grow and learn all these skills and you create a relationship with your dog just as much as you do with the outdoors. So there's just so much more to being a houndsman. You know, I've got nine, I've got nine dogs out there and that's not including, if you add everybody in our kennel, there's probably 30, 40 different hounds. But my nine dogs out here, everybody's got a different personality. You know, I can tell you everybody's strengths. I can tell you everybody's faults because there's no such thing as a perfect hound. Everybody tries to find that perfect hound, but I still don't think there's such a thing as a perfect hound. Um, they're all going to have their little faults. So I could tell you anything and everything about them. You know, you learn to pick out their bark. They're and it, it, it's just neat. It's just you're creating that relationship with your dog, and that dog is so much more than cool. That's your hunting partner. You know, it's not like a, you can go buy. You know, if you, if you learn the skill, you can go buy any 20 gauge and roll a rabbit. You can't just go buy any dog, and then run you a rabbit. There's a lot more to it, um, and that's with anything. That's with in general, whether it be deer, or hog hunters, um, it's, it takes a lot more preparation and time than what people think. And and I've always that's a hard thing for people. Whenever they do get into beagling, they think that they can just you know buy a, a pup and it's going to run a rabbit. And it's not that's not always the case. You know they're gonna booger at a butterfly or booger at stuff they've never experienced before as a young pup because they've never seen it. So you've got to have the patience. If you want a good pack, you've got to have the patience to work through all those little bumps in the road that you'll come up with. Um, and that's, that's where we, we have most fun. You know, our, our dogs get ran four or five times a week. So. Yeah. For, um, and they love it. And I, for anyone listening who doesn't know, I I know what it means now, but I def I definitely didn't know what it meant a couple of years ago. Uh, when you talk about boogering or like booger barking, could you explain what that uh, explain what that is? Yeah, so, a boogering or a booger bark. Um, so like I said earlier, you know you can you can learn your dog and and the different barks that they make. Well, a booger bark, um, you know that's kind of what boogering is 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 they hit something that they've never seen before and it kind of makes them, you know, freak out or, or kind of, well, booger, you know, like, oh my God, it's going <laughs> to get me type thing um, at, at something new. So, and that's, that's what, you know, you got to put the boots to the ground, put the, you know, feed them the track so they can have those experiences and, and know how to handle it as they grow. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, I never, 
you know, going into working with hounds, I never thought anything of like wrapping my head around it for a minute. I was like, oh my gosh, it was such a moment of listening for your dog to bark. And then when your dog is out there in the woods, half a mile away from you and there's other dogs barking and then picking out their sound and what that mm-hmm. sound means. That is something that I've never had until I did it until I was doing it with dogs that I was hunting. I like, didn't understand the excitement behind it, you know, cause th- that, that is such another layer of like a connection to your dog and what's going on when, when you hear them, I mean, they're communicating back to you, like you Mm -hmm. are, you're listening to what they're saying. And that is such a cool idea, but like people, at least where I, you know, growing up around it, uh, growing up around different types of hunting, different hunters, no one explained that to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and why would you even think about that until you lived it? I, I just think that's such a cool thing that more people need to talk about. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where, well, that's where a lot of uh, the knowledge of, of the houndsman comes from is just getting out there and seeing it. I mean, you don't know until you experience and those that have experienced or know it, they don't think to talk about it because it becomes second nature. You know, yes. you, you can start picking up the way your dog sounds. And, and if you're starting a young pup, all of a sudden you hear a weird noise or a different bark you've never heard before, you know, you know, it's just all kind of, it's, it's hard to, to explain for people to understand and have actually been out there and seen it. And when you see it and get in it and enjoy it, then you, you kind of start to grow and understand it a little bit better and all that. So, yeah, it's yeah, fun. And even, it's starting pups. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's a part like just getting into, you know, coon hounds, um, most of the time I can recognize my dog, but I've been in a cast, I've been in a competition with um, our old coon hound and he has a very deep, very distinct ball sound. Um, and I was in a cast where the other dogs kind of had a similar thing going on. And so when mm-hmm. they got far away, every I've always been able to pick him out, always. And then I was in a competition where all of the dogs were these big male dogs with these big male deep vocals. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is uh this is kind of a test. Like it kind of it it kind of made me feel bad, you know, that I couldn't recognize my dog's sound for a minute. Like and I and I even had one of the guys look at me kind of like you going to call your dog? And I'm thinking, I'm not yeah. so sure that that's my dog. But uh, <laughs> but I've been on the other side of that where someone's, you know, call made a call and thinking it's their dog and it's my dog, you know? Like that yep. can get confusing. Yep. Where I'm like, oh, no, no, that is most definitely my dog. Um, and I, for me, like if I'm, if I'm coon hunting a lot, um, I, I know this might sound weird, but when I'm coon hunting a lot, I could pick my dog out of, a thousand dogs but if I kind of like take a break if I take a few months and then like get back out there and we're hunting with other dogs it it, it kind of takes me a second to like readjust. yeah you can almost lose it because um, especially if the bloodlines are close I mean I've noticed with like for example my dog doc his son and you know his his nephew you know because of the the way that we're breeding them will throw a lot of the same voice I've seen um, um, 
like I've got a, a young female that when she started, she had squeak. And, you know, when she all of a sudden, when she hit a year and a half, two years, she's opening up and giving more mouth and, and rolling out. So uh, they'll over, they'll change over time, too. Just like, you know, our voices and, and our dialect and stuff changes as we age. The dogs do the same thing. Yeah, it's so cool. It's such an it's another layer to it that hunting with dogs is just, you know, I have I have bird dogs and I and I love them. Um, and I, I, I definitely don't know. I mean, I've been a bird hunter a lot, a lot longer, um, but you don't get that experience with a bird dog, you know, just that listening and understanding what they're saying. You can definitely watch their body language. You still, you still learn mm -hmm. your dog, um, no matter how you look at it, but it, it, it just such a cool experience. And, and did you, so you grew up with beagle dogs, it sounds like. So like, did you grow up hunting your entire life? Like you said, you did everything your dad did Was that. Has that always been a thing? When I was little, we had coon dogs for a while. Um, and then they got out of coon dogs for a little bit. And we just turkey hunted, deer hunted, did a lot of bass fishing. Um, you know, I had an uncle that had bear dogs and hog dogs. So dogs have always been a part of our family. But we've, we've only gotten back into beagles hot and heavy uh, probably about, oh, it's been over date. I can't tell you if it's 12, 18 years, but it's something like that. Um, and, and we've been perfecting our style of what we like, um, ever since then though. As, so, as someone who has no idea, like I can kind of maybe wrap my head around, you know, now when I'm looking at a bloodline for coonhounds, what I'm kind of looking for, what I'm looking for, you know, I have a Brittany Spaniel, uh, but as far as beagles go, what would someone be looking for when they're looking for a beagle to rabbit hunt with well it depends on what style they want so there's different there's different styles of beagles just like there's different styles of coon dogs um our style is an arha style which is like a style of uh um trial so my dogs are a little bit faster they're they're what's called an upper medium speed um, and so what I look for in my hunting dogs is I want something that is grubby. So what grubby means in, in beagle terms is something that's going to get up underneath that thicket, really work a, a, a work a thicket out really well. Um, I like something with a lot of hunt. So something with a heart that's going to get out there and hunt all day, all day, all day, all day, even when they're tired. Uh, foot is kind of the speed, so our dogs have a lot of foot to them. Um, so it just kind of depends. There's a, a there's a slower style dog that they call UGBF, which is United Gun Beagle Federation. <clears throat> they want more line control. So the way that rabbit runs and that scent lays is your line, and they want that dog. They want them nose to tail right on that line. That's what's important to them more than speed and other factors and, and this, that, and the other. So um, we use, our, our bloodline is based off of Dingus McRae, Yellow Creek, and Indian Hills, and all those are very, very old bloodlines. Um, but what I found, the way we cross our dogs, that gives them a good upper-medium speed, uh, a very good line control, uh, but breeding back to that Indian Hills also puts some brain into them. So 
they can actually gear down to be able to run a track so they're not going to overshoot it by 100 yards before they know that they're off the track. So they'll gear, they'll, they'll gear down, slow down to be able to follow that line. I'm not going to say they're not going to overshoot it because um, they are, but I like it because, you know, most faster style dogs are going to overshoot it a little bit. Sure. I like a faster style dog. A friend of mine named Dana Robinson, you know, told us one time it's watching those slow dogs wouldn't be, you know, if you compare it to like a NASCAR race, you don't want to watch them all in a line going around a track and there's going to be wrecks when they get, you know, to a higher speed. So, you know, they'll mess up every now and then, but they'll show you a rabbit. They'll bring your rabbit back. They'll circle it and they're not going to quit hunting. And that's what I want more than anything. So, yeah. And handle. I like it. Yeah, they're not going to quit, and I like a good handle. I love a good handle on a dog. You know, if I, I call them, tone them, want to put them in a thicket, you know, I, I want I want them to be able to do that and uh, not have to sit there and call them over and over and over and over again, you know, so. So a couple questions I have about, like, beagles and, you know, any type of, really any type of dog, depending on working dog um, and different breeds, they kind of uh... – how do I put this? They mature at different levels, right? Like uh, yes. when you're, when you're looking at a coon hound, you know, maybe, maybe you don't, you do or don't get bent out of shape if they're already treeing, you know, at six months versus it versus if it takes them till they're two years old, right? Everyone exactly. looks at that maturity level differently. In your opinion, when you have a beagle, is there things you're looking for early or does it, does it take some time, you know, to, to see that? So what I look for, what I look for in a pup is I kind of like a little bit more of an independent pup to start. Um, I want them to be curious. I want them to want to be getting into stuff, which drives you crazy because who knows what in the world your beagle pups going to get into. But that's a good sign to me that they're going to, you know, they're not going to be afraid to get into things. Um, I, to me, I don't, you know, as an example, my uncle right now, we I've got a, male pup and he's got a male pup from the same litter litter mates and his male pups already started and opening and running and everything like that. Well, not really running, but he's starting to open. So he'll jump a rabbit. He'll start to, to, to give mouth on a rabbit. My little guy Ringo is just not there yet. And in my opinion, what I've noticed, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you have a faster starting dog that starts at six months, I kind of feel like they can get overconfident at times and they plateau in their learning experience. Where if you have a slower starting dog um, that might take a little bit more time to get there, it's, it's like they're always continually getting better and getting better and getting better. And they don't hit that plateau because their confidence, you know, they don't, it's like a teenage kid. Teenage kid always thinks they know more than what they really do, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, to me, a slower starting dog, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's so hard for people like they, we're in a generation and we're in a world now that everybody wants instant gratification. Yeah. Um, so I, I've noticed a lot of people will give up on a dog early just because they don't have the patience for that dog to learn and grow and everything like that. Because they want that instant gratification. You know, there's a, we call them hobby hunters is what we call them around here. You, you find a group of guys that after deer season quit, they'll go buy four or five hounds for $50 a piece that are quote unquote running hounds and then turn around and sell them after rabbit season. Um, your dogs don't, a dog can't grow that quick. They can't come into their self that quick. And 
they need the time and the experiences. I like to travel and hunt with my dogs. I don't run the same starting pen over and over and over again. I like to travel, put them in different environments, put them in different situations, because I feel like that makes your dog better. Um, they're not always going to know exactly where that rabbit's sitting when you put them on the ground and go jump it, and then they'll run that one rabbit because they know it's there. They actually have to stop and work and think and be more productive than a dog that's been put on the same grounds over and over and over again. So with me getting the invitations that I've been so blessed and lucky to get to be able to go to these different farms and do these nonprofit hunts and, and go different, you know, we went to South Carolina this year. I've been to Michigan, you know, I've got the invite to Iowa. I've gotten invited to Indiana all, all over the place. And to me, it just makes my dogs better because they see terrain and situations that they wouldn't have seen before. And they never shy. You know, a, a young dog, and you probably experienced this coon hunting, a young dog, if you take them to a different spot, they'll shy because it's a, it's a different experience for them. Freaks them out a little bit, you know. Or yeah. if you take a dog that's not mature yet and you throw a young dog that's never hunted, um, never been around a big pack of dogs, or has only been around one or two dogs because that's what you've been bracing them with to teach them, and you throw them into a pack of 12 or 15, it's going to freak that dog out. They've never seen that before. They don't know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been lucky and blessed with my pack that we travel so much and I throw them in so many different different situations, it doesn't phase them. Yeah. Um, yep. They'll hit the ground and they'll, you know, start looking for a rabbit, you know, or if somebody wants to pet them, they'll let them pet them. It, don't, it doesn't matter who it is. It, they're not freaked out by anything because I've had them in so many different environments. Yeah. So, And I've just been very blessed with that opportunity to be able to do a lot of that. You know, we'll go to Alabama this year. We've got all kinds of other hunts planned out and, and uh, uh, they'll have some fun with it for sure. So That's but awesome. it, the maturity of a dog depends on the dog. You're right. You have yes. to, <laughs> yeah, you have to learn what to look for. If they start soon, if they start really quick, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But make sure you are putting something in front of that dog to keep their mind enticed and wanting to learn so they don't plateau on you. Um, a dog that starts slow, don't give up on that dog. I've seen a lot of people that, you know, come to me, oh, they're not doing this. And, and you know, I, I give them just, just feed them the tracks. 90% of it is feeding the dog the tracks. You know, 10% of it is your breeding. 90% of it's actually putting them to the ground and feeding them the tracks. And then over time, they just get better and better and better. So you don't always need to give up on a dog just because they're not maturing to your standards. Yeah. So. Yeah. Amen. And also, you know, I think sometimes, and I'm calling myself out as much as I'm saying this to anybody else is sometimes when you have a dog that has a lot of natural ability, you know, when we're all just busy people and have a lot going on, sometimes we might depend a little bit too much on that natural ability that came through, you know, and not challenging them, not working with them, not um, taking them out hunting as much as maybe we should, uh, because, you know they've already got it right like they were born with it <laughs> they're doing the yeah. things already and uh it's kind of that's a great thing when you have a dog with so much natural ability so soon but also not a reason to you not can't give up on the dog you still yeah. gotta feed them the tracks yeah, it, yeah. It, they're a fine-tuned piece of machinery as soon as you finish a dog out that's a that's a fine-tuned dog and you know a fine-tuned instrument whether it be 
you know, for the mechanics out there, like a, a, a micrometer or, or something like that in your garage or a guitar that you lay around, if it just sits there and doesn't get used, it loses its fine tuning. Same thing with your hound. If you're not using that hound, they're going to get rough. They're going to lose what natural ability that they've been bred with. So you got you to gotta give them the chance to get out there and learn all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I feel that with myself right now. I basically have used this winter to, like, not work out and now I'm <laughs> yeah. now I've I've lost my natural ability like it hurts to get out of bed now <laughs> just the, the last few months imagine like how a dog feels because I know oh, I yeah. feel that uh it and okay so I, I'm probably gonna sound really ignorant with this but this is just as someone who uh you know I I've said this a couple times you know to you and on the podcast like it's hard for me to call myself a houndsman, but, you know, I, I think I can say that now because I've been going hard at it for a couple years, but I'm still new, right? Like, I, I mean, I didn't, the traditional way, especially with working with hounds, like we've talked about this, usually that's something you're kind of born into or raised around. You're not, it's not usually something most folks get into later in life. Uh, that type of hunting in particular, it's very, it's a tradition that gets passed on and uh, you learn it from your grandparents and your parents, and, you know, I, I, I'm adopting this later, but this is things that I'm just learning as I go here, as, uh, you know, hunting with hounds, went hunting in Wisconsin um, for bear, and we went to South Carolina to hunt uh, hogs with, with hounds also, and something the owners talked about a lot was, you know, having dogs that are relatively the same speed together. Right. So like yes. one slow versus fast, because it's also a danger thing, right? Like there's wolves out there. You don't want a dog to be singled out. Um, oh, uh, ha- but- yeah, it could be the safety thing, but you're a thousand percent correct. I was just talking to a real good buddy of mine about this the other day. He's, is he's got some, some friends that'll buy a bunch of hounds, but they're not a uniform pack. Yeah. 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 And so there's so much room for mistakes when you don't have a uniform pack. If you've got that slow dog in with that fast dog, if that slow dog's really competitive, instead of him working that track out, his head is going to be up, and he's going to be chasing that, that faster dog, and he's barking at that faster dog. He ain't barking on the trail, you know, and we call that pulling the guts out of him. You know, that fast dog's going to pull the guts out of that slow dog, and that slow dog, if he's, if he's got a competitive nature, he's going to give everything he's got to, to do that. And another, you know, and another example is if your dogs work through a check and they've got the track and they're going and your slow dog is just now getting through that check, if they hit another check and that, that dog opens up on that trail 100 yards back, they're turning around and go honor that other dog. So you're you're just starting all over again. So if you, you've got to have a uniform pack. You can't, you know, there's guys that, oh, a rabbit dog's a rabbit dog. No, that's that's not true. There's different styles. There's different bloodlines for a reason. Everybody likes a different style, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, if you like a slower dog, you're going to kill a lot more rabbits than me. But, man, I love hearing them take a rabbit 300, 400 yards out and bringing that cocktail back. That's just what gets me excited. Yeah. And and so it's just whatever your style is that you like, at least make it a uniform pack because you're hurting your dogs. You know, you, you might have a good fast a faster dog that has a good line control. Well, if he hears that, that slower dog parking on that track, he's going to turn around and go honor that dog thinking that he's wrong, and it just messes a whole bunch of stuff up. Yeah. 
So yeah, you definitely got to have a uniform pack. Yeah. So how? So with beagles, um, or uh, beagles, we'll stick with like the beagle perspective. But you can definitely, if you have a point to make about hounds in general, uh, how many is an ideal number? Do you think to have running together for rabbits? Pure preference. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> you can you can kill you can kill rabbits off of one dog. You can kill rabbits off of a brace, which is two dogs. You can kill rabbits off that any day. You know, I've had, uh, to me, my choice, an ideal pack is going to be about four to six. That's going to be ideal. But I've ran in packs this summer. We were training and and somehow got lucky. We ran a a whole pack of 16 dogs and every dog was right on it. But that was that was a, a good running day. The scent and conditions were good, and every dog there had the same style. So, and that was that was an awesome thing. I'll probably never see it again. But we had a rabbit cut a field as fast as he could go, and we counted every dog come out right on that track, right behind that rabbit. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Sixteen hounds, right on that rabbit. That's and awesome. what I've noticed, and this is more maybe with my faster dogs than it is with slower dogs. If if you get into those bigger packs. Um, you might have more of a, a a chance for an issue to come about, whether that be you might have a young pup mixed in there that, that might jump a deer, and then all of a sudden, just because of the competition, the competitive nature, you know, and, and somebody started that deer, you're going to have dogs that might not ever start a deer, go out on the deer, want to join in on it. Yeah. And, um so, and that's just, that's just the nature of it. You know, a lot of guys sit there and say, oh, my dog will never start a deer. This hey, you got a bad scent condition. Those dogs can't smell. And you tell me that, that big old deer jumps up, takes off running. They want, they don't want to chase after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the, it happens. At that point too. Right, right, right. It happens. Yeah. It, it, you know, and, and I've seen guys say that they've, they've bred deer out of on this, that, and the other. I don't think that they're a chase animal in my opinion. Right. Beagles are a chase animal. I've got to break my dogs off the ear. It's just part of it, um, especially with them coming up, being a pup, and I can't be mad at them for wanting to hunt, you know, but I do have to break them off to, to entrain them to the game that I want them to chase. But whenever you get into a bigger pack, you have more chances of stuff going wrong like that. Yeah. So that's why I feel like four to six is about perfect, at least for the style that I like. I love running four to six. Uh, you get good races. They push that rabbit hard. Um, good long races for me. Not as many breakdowns. Sometimes when you get into bigger packs, you can get a lot more checks um, than what you do with smaller packs and, and this, that, and the other. But, you know, that's that's all my opinion. You might talk to another beagler that's been doing it a while, and they'll give you a whole different opinion on it. Sure. But that's, yeah. that's just what I like for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's... I'm sure there's hundreds of opinions out there, and I'm sure most of them are right, you know? Like, their experiences were... Oh yeah, what their experience they is one thing versus yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, so are there other dogs that people use regularly for rabbit hunting rather than beagles? Yeah, there's a basset. There's actually a basset hound club here that runs rabbits. Um, you get further north, that's when you start getting into your harriers, because um, those snowshoes and and things like that, you need a bigger, longer, leaner dog to be able to keep up with that fast rabbit. Sure, yeah. Uh, you go out sense. west, they'll use sight hounds, so like greyhounds, things like that. That's yeah. what they'll use for yeah, rabbits yeah. and stuff. So cool. I figured. I'm just like so. The rabbit hunting side, you know, I 
I don't until just recently, and maybe it's because I'm getting into the weeds with it more, but I don't know of very many people that do it in Iowa, but I'm, I'm sure there is a group and a club of people. I'm, I'm sure there is. I just don't personally know them. So I just, I just really have no idea. And, you know, outside of like the movies and the outdoor channel growing up, you know, I didn't have much exposure to that. So, but yeah, duh, Basset Hounds, uh, you said greyhounds too, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yep. Greyhounds are the sight chasers for yeah. big jackrabbits and stuff. And harriers are, are uh, like a like a beagle, but a lot bigger. Kind of size-wise, they're in between a walker and a beagle hound. Sure. And they use them up north for snowshoes and Canada and stuff. Just that bigger that bigger rabbit, that, that hair stock, you know, or a hair that's going to run a little bit harder and faster and and so they need a little bit something with more speed. So, but there's a dog for, you know, everything. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a beagle. Um, one of the best rabbit dogs we had was a mix between a beagle and a border collie or something like that. You'd have to ask my uncle. He could tell you. But one of the best rabbit dogs they had growing up was some mixed breed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's in them, it's in them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Definitely. Do you, um, uh, Do you have to worry about the dogs getting right up? So, okay, from, like, a safety perspective, here's what I'm thinking. As a bird hunter, you know, and this would happen with any type of, like, houndsman, I suppose. But how how fast is that rabbit compared to those dogs? And do you have to worry about someone accidentally shooting your dog? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to that's, ask. That's, yeah, that's always a worry that I carry, especially with these nonprofit hunts, because we have a lot of brand new hunters right so like tennessee wildlife federation when i do their hunting and fishing academy it's it's uh it's a parent and a child that's just getting into hunting and they're trying to learn so they've never done anything like this before so my number one rule in my kennel because i don't care about the meat on the ground i care about everybody having a good experience is you never shoot on the jump so that jump is going to be where the rabbit's going to be closest to the dogs um, and until he starts getting tired, you know, depending on the speed of your dogs, he can be anywhere from 15 yards to 40 yards in front of the dogs, depending on how they're pushing, whether it's a buck rabbit, a doe rabbit, there's a lot of factors any, you know, sitting conditions, there's a lot of factors to it. So it could be from my experience, anywhere from 15 to 40 yards. Um, but I, I never shoot off the jump and, and there's a couple reasons why I, my dogs, I don't like to shoot off the jump. Number one is safety. So they're in a thicket. It's thick. It's hard for um, it's hard for those sometimes to actually see the dogs. They get in so, so thick of stuff. So for safety reasons, you know, you don't don't shoot that rabbit until you know 100% that it's up and running and it's out in front of the dogs. And and the second reason why is it makes my dogs better. I mean, shoot, if I shot every rabbit that they jumped within 20 yards, how in the world are they going to be able to push a track past 20 yards, you know? Right. Yep. So giving them that chance to do that, uh, I feel like makes my dogs better. So. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's, that's awesome. And that's like what I assume, but it's definitely, I can't wait to go through it myself and experience it because I can talk about it, but I, I haven't rabbit hunted with beagles and it just looks so much fun and. The boyfriend and I have talked about, you know, we have three coon hounds and uh, one Brittany and are getting another bird dog in a couple months. And so we got a lot going on. But uh, 
we, we've talked about getting, you know, beagles. He, he, he loves rabbit hunting. He, he used to do it when he was younger. And, um, I, yeah, I just like want to wrap my head around what that would be like. And, and what, uh, cause to me, the only rabbit hunters I know, they have like 15. Um, yeah. So I'm like, gosh, I don't, I'm not getting 15. Like if I, if I have to have 15, I'm not doing it. <laughs> oh no, you don't have to have 15. It just happens that way. You start with one or two and then you want to make it better. And they're, they're like potato chips, man. As soon as you start one, you can't stop. And before you know it, we've all got anywhere from nine to 15 to, you know, like I said, and we've got different subsidiaries of our kennel, but if you counted all of us together, we probably got 30, 40 dogs. Yeah. That at any time, any of us could go grab if we needed for breeding reasons or wanted to hunt with that dog for a day or whatever we wanted to do. But, That's cool. Um, it's just how it kind of grows and develops because whenever you get into the breeding side, you find the bloodline you like, you get the dog that you like, you want to, to better that bloodline. And if you're doing it intelligently and paying attention to what you're doing, you're, you're taking the the best part of that dog and breeding it to something comparable, you know, so you don't want to take two mouthy dogs and breed them together because you'll have something that's very cold nose, cold mouth and just barking every time they hit the ground, you know, so if you got a tighter mouth dog that has a great line control and you've got a, uh, a, a dog that gives good mouth with great line control and you combine that, you're going to get a dog with good mouth and, and that can still have good line control. So you have to kind of pay attention and then you start having fun with it. And then whenever you start growing your dogs and seeing them get better and better and better then you, before you know it, you've got nine, 10, 12, 15. That's just <laughs> yeah. I think it might not all be beagles, but I think I'm well on my way there too. And you know, yeah. it, it has opened my eyes to, uh, it, it's, it's like, there's all these secret little worlds that people just have no idea exist. And in hunting, that is very much true. And, like, what I mean by that is, okay, so then I, I start dipping my, you know, tip, what's the saying? Dipping my toe in the water with coon, with coon hounds, right? And now and now I'm becoming friends and meeting these, these people who hunt hounds for all different things. Like I mentioned, the bear, the hog, et cetera, deer. Um, and then I, I go to these people's houses, you know, and... Uh, I meet these, I meet these people from like all over. And when I pull up to their places, most of them are kind of on like a country road or have a little piece of property and you pull up and there's, there's like, there's, there's 10 plus dogs there, right? Like there's, there's a dog house, dog house, dog house, you know, dog for everyone. And I'm like, what, what? Like, this is amazing. (laughs) It's like, it's, you just don't see that where I live. Um, you just you just really don't um unless you know these people specifically they're kind of out of they're kind of out of sight most of the time to have that many dogs and uh it's just it's so rad to me like i think it's amazing that they have this um this lifestyle but i just don't think a lot of people know about it no and that's the nice thing about uh uh beagle dogs too is i can stick to a three to a 10 by 10 kennel you know right right um having to have you know 15 different kennels because we've got 15 different dogs they're smaller more compact and our our beagles get along great with one another so we don't have to worry about fighting or nothing like that so good that's awesome um, is is yeah. uh rabbit hunting your favorite if you had to pick uh it's definitely my top two that and turkey hunting uh, love, there's nothing better than getting after a spring gobbler so those two are definitely my top two of course, I deer hunt. You know, I'll, I'll drop one or two deer a year just to, to put meat in the freezer, but just doesn't get me as excited as what running my 
running my dogs do or, or turkey hunting does. I think it's just because of the interactive side. Yeah. Instead of just sitting there and waiting for that deer to walk out. Like I have more fun running cameras and putting up stands and blind. That's more fun to me than the actual act of deer hunting where you're just sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, you know, the, the rabbit hunting, you're interacting with your dogs and a little bit harder to hit a running rabbit than what people think. And, um, the, the turkey hunting, you're, you're talking to him and trying to coerce him to come in and see you and all that fun stuff. So that's just a, a blast for me too. So that's what I'm kind of gearing up for now. Our season ended yesterday for small games. So the beagles will be in training, but in the next month or so, they're going to get like a month off so I can turkey hunt. So Nice. When, uh, when does your season start? Does it start in April? In April. Yeah. yeah. They have a youth, they have a youth hunt at the end of March. And then uh, April opens up our season, so you get that month to be able to, to hunt. I think our limit's like three birds a year, so that's that's my next thing. I'll start working on my turkey calls, and I've got a bunch of uh, friends that are learning how to call and want turkey hunt, so I'll be helping them and assisting them and get them going and all that fun stuff, so. Heck yeah. Turkey hunting's definitely one of my favorites. Um, Always fun. Yeah, it's it's hard for me. I think if I have a, if I have a dog, like, which I do now, you know, working with that dog kind of takes top place most of the time. So I definitely agree mm-hmm. with what you're saying, but turkey hunting's always been a, a top favorite. And you, this year I'll be mentoring, uh, for my full-time job, I'll be mentoring a number of youth, uh, on turkey hunts this year. And I'm really excited for that, uh, to, to do that with them. But I also think it's going to be really good for me. Like I've, I've mentored, um, a lot of adults, uh, for pheasant, turkey, deer, archery, uh, different things, but to mentor one-on-one turkey hunting, which is one of my favorites with like, with a kiddo, like I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, you'll have more fun with kids cause they listen. <laughs> so adults sometimes come in with this thing, like they know what they're doing or they researched it and they, they have this misconception of what they're doing. And so they might try to battle you. Kids don't. They just listen. Like, whatever you say is word. And they're going to do, you know, whatever whatever you ask them to. So mentoring kids is a lot of fun, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I'm excited. And I think I'll have a – we'll have some – and some of them won't even be kid kids. They'll be, like, college athletes also. Mm-hmm. So that, that could be, like, a whole nother layer, you know, uh, of, like – I don't know. I'm excited. I, I, I like mentoring people anyway. Whether they come in with like all these ideas or they have no idea, like it's fascinating. I it, it does, and I'm sure you'll agree. Like it does more for me as a hunter sometimes, probably than it even does for them. You know, like they think I'm teaching them all these things, but they're asking me questions that I never thought about, you know, or have never answered out loud. Or, you know, I I truly think sometimes we are our best selves as humans when we're like serving other people. And mm-hmm. it just makes you, I think, uh, more aware and a better woodsman, like when you are helping somebody else because you're taking care of them, right? Like you're taking care of their experience, their safety, listening. You're kind of, I don't know, more in it because it's not just about you now. It's about somebody else too. And um, so I'm excited for that challenge and, and doing that. And I know that you know that because like when, we, when we've talked that you, you've mentored and helped with a, a number of hunts. Um, I think for youth and ladies and just adults in general, and you have some of that stuff coming up, right? Or do you have some events coming up? I do. I do. So, um, 
Tennessee Wildlife Federation and Artemis has joined together for a ladies turkey class. And this is neat the way they're doing it this year. So it's, it's actually uh, three different, I think it's three sessions or four sessions. It might be four sessions. Um, but you actually, so the ladies come into us and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a new hunter. It can be anybody that wants to learn a little bit more about turkey hunting. So one Saturday they come in, we go over calls, we go over some of the basics, maybe, you know, how to pack your vest, stuff like that, stuff they might not know. Um, and then the next time we do like an online seminar, ask some questions. And then the third time, and this is all going to happen before turkey season. So it's happening in, in uh, pretty soon. It's happening this month. Um, I'm sure you can link it below to show all the dates yeah, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I definitely will. But um, so the third session, we go out and help you pattern your gun, make sure you're ready, where to shoot at, all that fun stuff. And so it's, it's – uh, and then the fourth session will be kind of after – turkey season to see how everybody went um and it's only 25 bucks you know 25 bucks buys you these four sessions to come in and sit down uh with a lot of people who have been turkey hunting a lot you know i, I um robin mcdonald is going to help me in the knoxville area they're doing one in knoxville tennessee and one in nashville tennessee uh she turkey hunts with a muzzleloader um you know and and Calling birds is one of my favorite things to do. I've been calling turkey since I was 10 years old, and I have a, a lot of good friends in the call-making business, you know. Um, so I can teach them what to look for in a call and what a rollover means and how to hold their slate and all that fun stuff. And and uh, Lisa Sawyer is helping us, and she she's always done a great job with people and reaching out and just getting them excited about everything. So it'll be a fun event for sure. Yeah, um, no, and, we'll definitely and, share and that. It. And you said there's some spots open still, right? There's still some, yeah, there's yeah. still some spots open. There's some spots, there's a couple spots open left in Nashville, and there's a couple spots open left in Knoxville. And if we get enough, you know, we might extend it and, and, and do one more seminar. So it just kind of yeah. depends on how many people we get signed up for it, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely share that. I'm all about that stuff. Uh, whether adults, kids, whatever, um, I'm I am all for that. And we will definitely share we will definitely share and I hope people, I hope people join you for that because that's, um, especially because it's, it's so affordable and it's, it's multi-step. So getting them to that next step, being able to walk mm -hmm. away and actually use what they learned. Like, I don't know, um, you know, if anyone's listening, it, it, a lot of the listeners that I know on this podcast, they, they get it. They, they live this for sure. Um, but you know, sometimes I'm kind of surprised at either events or opportunities to go hunting that get put out there, whether they're free, really affordable, or, you know, even on the more expensive side, sometimes like sometimes I am shocked at things that don't get taken advantage of. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know, I know, I know, I know everyone's so busy, like, and I know that everyone's got their hands in a lot of things and um, th there's a lot of barriers. Right. But I, I have, since I was a teenager, I've been getting asked by people like, take me hunting, do this with me. And I'll say, I'll say, yeah, let's do it. You know, I'll put it back in their court to like, join me. Like I'm going no matter what, you might as well come with me. So that, that's, yeah, that's and, my thought with the, with the beagle dog saying, hey, I'm going to be out there anyway. So you might as well come learn. You know? Right. And, and sometimes people either, and I, and I can't, I can't, I can only guess unless they tell me why maybe they back out or don't jump on it and then years go by before maybe they get into it. But man, there are so many opportunities out there that are, 
that are that opportunity for you to like build your confidence and get out there and try the thing. And this sounds like a perfect thing for somebody to do that. And I hope people jump on it because it bums me out when stuff like that doesn't get, you know, utilized, I suppose, because it's 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 uh, outdoorsmen who really, really love what they do. They given up a lot of their time and effort and uh they want to see other people be successful and learn to hunt i think i think most hunters do so oh yeah and it, it's definitely and you get those those guys that won't even tell you where to hunt you know that's that's just part of it you right. have those type of people no matter what kind of hobby that you like to do but i would say you know 90 percent whether it be national wild Tur- uh, national wild turkey federation ducks unlimited um you know, I work a lot with Tennessee Wildlife Federation, uh, National Wildlife Federation, Artemis, all those guys. They're out there to, to expand. And the the hunting is, is one of the most popular sports that are growing. And it's actually one that is growing the most in, in women. So women are, are coming up a lot in the hunting industry. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, you know. Um, one of them is, is there's a lot of single mothers out there. So they might have a son come in that's kind of interested, but they have nowhere to start. And so that's where seminars like this come in uh, very important. You know, and, and we've noticed that with Hunting Fitness Academy, you have a lot of single pa- parents that come in, never hunted before. You know, they've got, uh, luckily because of Sportsman Channel, Outdoor Channel, stuff like that, exposing kind of what we do and, and putting it out there for people so they find an interest. They don't know where to start, you know. A lot of us that are mentoring, we started with our parents when we were young, and we were blessed enough to learn and grow um, as outdoorsmen. And I feel very obligated because my dad and my uncles were great teachers of me that I, I feel like I should pass my knowledge on to other people to, so they can enjoy and have the same experiences that I do. And that's what it's about. It's not always about how big of a deer you kill, how big of a turkey you kill, how many rabbits you kill. It's the experience. Everybody has a ton of stories of experiences and, you know, different things happen at different times and you laugh and you cry and you get mad and you go through all these different emotions um, when you're learning how to hunt. And it's just that, that it's just something that whenever you get up there and learn to enjoy it, it just feels you as a person, you know, it kind of becomes a part of you. And uh, I, I don't like seeing people miss out on it. So that's why I love to do a mentorship. I'm not in it for the money, never have been. You know, every time we, we do one of these hunts, we do it for free. I've had people, oh, well, what do I owe you? You don't owe me nothing. I was going to be hunting anyway. So don't worry about that. Did you enjoy it? Did you have fun? Do you have questions? You know, that type of thing. So um, it's good experiences. Tennessee Wildlife Federation does a lot of good stuff for Hunting and Fishing Academy. Artemis does a lot of great stuff. I'm doing a turkey camp for them in South Carolina as well. Um, as the turkey, the, the camp's actually hunting hunting like we're going down there and hunting on public land and camping and everything like that and then we're doing the the turkey seminars here uh turkey classes here to kind of teach and and so forth so there's a lot of great you know national wild turkey federation does a lot of that there's you just got to find a nonprofit and roll with it and there's going to be people there that'll teach you yeah most definitely i think i think that those opportunities are are starting to really show themselves more and more um in different states and you know if and travel isn't available for everybody, I suppose, but I know when I host events or workshops in Iowa, 
um, there is almost always someone from a different state because maybe they just can't find something in their state. So if you look a little bit, the, a lot of surrounding states are doing stuff like this, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And with turkey hunting coming up, like if you if you don't mind, I'd like to talk turkey with you for a few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's go for it. OK, cool. Um, so I'm just going to do some like general advice questions that are just coming to my mind that I think someone listening or uh, wants to be a better turkey hunter or get into it, you know, maybe what what they want to know. So in your in your opinion, uh, when someone's getting started, maybe they don't have a huge support system, right? Besides YouTube, a couple people that they follow on social media or something that they're learning from and they and they want to call themselves. What would you suggest for someone who is new to calling, learning to call, trying to get better? Like what call should they put in their hand first? I've always liked slates and boxes. That's what I grew up on is friction calls. So I don't know. There are a ton of hunters that have started on that little deuce $9 slate you'll buy at Walmart and it's kill turkeys off of it. Um, you know, a one side box to learn off of is, is great. And I have, I have mixed feelings because it kind of depends on your budget. I've always liked the custom calls as I've learned uh, kind of how to call because these guys take so much time to put turkey into that call. So putting turkey into that box or that, that pot call or, or anything like that, it, it will run easier for somebody learning versus trying to learn off of a, a cheaper call that doesn't produce a sound. Right. So, but it, of course there's people that can't afford that. And I completely understand that, but like a, just a small pot slate, it's very hard to mess up on them as soon as you learn the motions and a good little box call has always been my favorite go-to. And what, what sound should they learn to make first? Do you think? A cluck, a purr and a yelp. And that's all you need. Awesome. At least, at least for my Eastern birds down here, everybody's a little bit different, but yeah. um, yes. if you learn a, a good yelp pattern, and you learn how to cluck just a little bit and you can purr just a little bit and don't over yelp and don't overthink it, you're going to kill a bird. Um, a lot of people get out there and just call and 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 call and, call and they'll actually make them call shy or turn them away from you over time. So, um, and another, if you've got a, like a, if you live somewhere where you've got a group of turkeys maybe in your subdivision, if you can just sit and listen to the way those hens talk, that's what's going to teach you how to call a turkey more than anything. Just taking the time to actually hear how a real hen communicates. Um, and because there, there is a communication skill to it too. You can't just go out and just make a bunch of yelps and a, a gobbler starts coming into you. There's some communication to learn over time. Yeah. And listen to an actual flock of wild turkeys. If you are lucky enough to find them, you know, it seems like they've, uh, in certain areas, they've kind of overrun suburban areas at this point in time because they're still all grouped up right now. Yep. So if you get out there and just listen to the way those hens talk to one another, that's going to be the best way for you to learn how to call a turkey. And you can just start mimicking and learning them. Yeah, I love it. Or, and do you do you uh, use in the mornings, like locate, do you do much like crowing or uh, like? I use an owl hooter. Yeah, I use an owl hooter in the morning. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, before it gets kind of light, I'll use the owl hooter to see if they're gobbling on the roost. 
um, you know, and then I, I get fancy with it, unfortunately. I, I, there's a, a saying of, of kissing it, which is keep it simple, stupid, but I can't go by my own rule because I love love calling a bird and get him all fired up. And, um, so I'll, I'll let down a fly down call or I might cackle at him or cut at him or something just to get him all fired up. And that's not always the best thing to do, but man, it makes it fun whenever they start gobbling back at you. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's like one of the best parts. Like I've, I've gone back and forth with some folks on, um, some turkey hunts in the morning and you know like when when i go or when we go we're getting up at 4 a.m because we want to be out mm-hmm. there well before um the sun rises and we want to listen to those turkeys and we we don't want to you know kick them out of roost or whatever and uh and and not that everyone has to be out that early because then someone could argue well i'd rather get in there at 8, 8 a.m kill my bird by 9 30 rather than be there at 4 a.m and not kill the bride the bird till 9 30 um so you could say that but i i feel like sometimes if you get in too late in the morning you miss out on hearing the hearing them coming from the trees and gobbling back and forth and the the woods lighting up before uh the sun even comes up but that that's you know that's what i get excited about too like listening to them um oh yeah that's always a fun part but then there's always a tactic too when those hens are finally starting to go light um, you can get out there at 10, 11 o'clock in the afternoon, 12 o'clock in the afternoon and find that lonely gobbler that's lost his hen for the afternoon because she's mm-hmm. sitting on the eggs. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely different tactics there in different times of the year. Yes, most definitely. Um, I, I've been, I've been playing that back and forth in my head because, you know, for, you know, for kids, uh, especially not even, not even just kids, like adults, there's a lot of people who don't want to get up at four in the morning, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that might, that is enough to keep a lot of people from hunting. I know there's been times where I'm just like worn out and it has kept me from wanting to go out hunting before too. So I, I get it. Um, I played with that of like, okay, do I expect, do I expect the 12 year old, 13 year old to get up at 4am or do I you know, adjust my time (laughs) accordingly (laughs) sort of thing. So, um, but I definitely think it depends on their motivation and, uh, if you think you can get them on birds or not, I suppose. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you can't kill anything from the, from the house, Right. you know, you're going to get out there one way or another, whether it's four o'clock in the morning or if it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. I mean, if you're not out there, you can't kill them. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you, so are you, do you do any sort of like running gun style turkey hunting? I do more of a, yep, I do. Cause I do a lot of public, public land hunting. So I do a lot of running and gunning versus being able to just set up a blind and, and know when they're going to be coming through. Um, so that's my main form of being able to hunt a turkey is to actually run and gun them. Yeah. Um. And that, that makes it a lot of fun, too, because, I mean, it's just you and the bird and those those pesky hens, you know, she's she's out there, too. That's another factor you got to look for. So um, I always enjoyed running and gunning. That's how I've always killed a lot of my birds is running and gunning. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely some, like, mixed thoughts on that. That's how I've gotten my last two birds also. Um, that's not how I grew up hunting, though. I, I was not exposed to that until later. And then I've had a lot more success running and gunning than just sitting. Um, I think it also helps with the scouting aspect. Like sometimes the hard part about hunting 
is being able to scout an area like really well before you go out there right and if you don't know where the birds are exactly and you just go put your blind somewhere it, it, it might take it might take a while um right and i feel like the running and gunning style definitely helps with that too i mean you're going to them or you're you're moving around which is just more fun and interactive anyway unless it's like 90 degrees but um yeah i i i like both a lot but i i know there's a lot of controversy um with the run and gun style too especially if you have a decoy and you're like coming towards them with a decoy yeah yeah there's some people who don't like the fanning and i tell you what there's no tactic when it comes to actually taking a turkey there's no tactic it's wrong right. those guys are smarter than what you think you know so yeah. some people don't like fanning a bird in um i killed a bird in nebraska just because we were able to fan him in he wasn't interested in in uh coming into calling or anything like that but seeing that and we didn't like we didn't get down and kind of sneak up to him we set up and fanned him in and you know was just making drumming noises and stuff like that and that's that's the whole reason i got my miriams is that's what brought him in um but you know when we were hunting rios and, and texas it was all running and gunning so it, there's every situation is different and i really don't feel there's a wrong or right way to try to get up for a bird yeah so. no uh i should i should say that what i understand is the controversy is the safety part because you're yeah. standing behind a tur what looks like i mean legitimately looks like a turkey and so um so you don't get shot is basically what i right, mean right 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 <laughs> yeah yeah and there's a safety aspect to it too you know sometimes running and gunning maybe or like a, a fan and a birdie on public land might not be the best thing but i mean there's always ways to be safe about it um and that just comes down to, to people knowing their shot, paying attention to what they're shooting and not just wildly shooting at something that looks like feathers. Yeah, you know? most definitely. Oh yeah. And that, that goes back. On, I think it goes back on the hunter being responsible a little bit more than the, the, the hunter that's actually using a fan. Yeah. The guy taking the shot, that's all on him. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, cause let's, let's face it. If you actually look at that fan, <laughs> right. you know that there's a person behind that. Right. Fan, right. <laughs> Yes. So it it comes down to the person with the gun in their hand. Yes. More than it does the the person using that tactic. But there 100%. there are people out there that that aren't paying attention to what they're doing. So yeah. Um, if you're not comfortable with it, definitely don't do it. But it, there's a thrill to it. I mean, I'll try anything to get a turkey dag on. I was in South Carolina last year. We had hunted and hunted and hunted on this public land, and I get them gobbling in the morning. But they all had hands with them. We just couldn't. We just couldn't seal the deal. But we were walking down this dirt road with uh, a friend of mine named Morgan, and all of a sudden, beside me, it, it sounded like a little clucking, or I'd called, and they kind of answered me with some clucking, and it sounded like a hen on a nest um, to me. But we weren't exactly sure. But I was just trying to get them to come out, and I was moving away from her. I was clucking and purring and moving away from her and kicking my feet in leaves like I was scratching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's just standing there like Rambo. Like, as soon as that red hand pops up, she's going to blast it. But, I mean, we do stupid stuff to get a turkey, and sometimes it works, sometimes it don't, but you never know until you drop. Right. So. Absolutely. I uh, I recently, um, I can't remember if I've talked about this publicly or not. If I, I was on a podcast recently, and I can't remember if I said this, and because it's, like, kind of embarrassing, but kind of funny. Uh, so this last year just I play around with talking like a turkey with my natural voice 
and uh, I can sometimes sound really good. And sometimes I get a little nervous and I sound like a dying cat, but most of the time, most of the time I sound pretty good. And, um, it, it's easy to do your natural voice once you kind of get it. Cause that I can take that with me and just do that in the vehicle and, you know, scare my boyfriend and my mother and come up behind him and make noises. <laughs> um, but I, uh, do you know who Preston Pittman is? Of course. Okay. I figured you did. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, didn't know who he was until like a couple years ago. Um, I, I, I grew up hunting like a lot, but I definitely was kind of, my dad was self-taught. So since he was self-taught, I feel like there's a lot of things like he was in his own world. You know what I mean? Like he knew what he knew from just himself. He didn't, he didn't, he doesn't follow like famous people or organizations or anything like that. So, that a lot of that knowledge I got um, from him early on, you know, the 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 people in the game, like the famous people, the people who like like Preston Pittman, I, I didn't have any clue who those folks were until you know adulthood. Uh, so I'm learning to call with my natural voice uh, this last year just for fun, and then I start learning who Preston Pittman is and listening to a bunch of like podcasts and I start watching his routines um on stage and his calling routines and I'm like oh my god and then I'll like listen to him and then I'll try to repeat his sound back usually I do better if I like hear it and then I repeat it right back so what you were talking about with the hens and like what they're doing and then repeating it that whether it's a slate or my voice that's the best for me is to like hear it repeat it hear it repeat it that helps me a lot um but I can usually do pretty good when I do that. And so I, I will say from experience when if you ever get to watch Preston Pittman, who you, was like the world uh, like national champion turkey caller, um, he uh, <laughs> he his his uh, performances that he would do on stage at competitions like he actually had like turkey feathers he would stand up on a chair jump out of it like he was coming out of the roost um you know strut around like a turkey and i'm telling you as a piece of advice if you want to learn to call doing those motions like scratching leaves make you sound better i i think getting into character makes you a better turkey caller and i think it makes you sound better but um I, 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 the other day I wasn't thinking the national wild Turkey Federation convention was going on like a week or two ago. And, um, I said, I, I, I did a little clip. I put it on my Snapchat and my Instagram of me Turkey calling with my natural voice and it was pretty good. And one of my friends is like, Oh, you're just a regular Preston Pittman, huh? Giving me a hard time. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to send this. I'm going to send this to Preston Pittman. I'm going to send my <laughs> voice clip to him. And I did, I did on Facebook thinking, and I, I sent him this message saying like, I'm so sorry if this is like inappropriate or weird. Um, you know, I kind of tell him a little bit of backstory or whatever. Well, he looks at it. He looked at it. He's on messenger, you know? So he looked at it. And I'm like, <gasps> and then he never responded. But I realized I sent it to him like on the day that he got initiated into the National like Hall of Fame, National Wild Turkey Federation Hall of Fame. I'm like, I'm an idiot. That was a horrible <laughs> time to send him my voice clip of me calling and asking him for advice. So I just did that a couple weeks ago and I didn't get a response, but... Preston's, I've met Preston a few times. He's a really, really nice guy. Um, he'll sit and talk with you and, 
and uh, you know, if you have any questions, he'll answer them and this, that, and the other. You just caught him at a wrong time. I did. Crazy <laughs> busy at convention, but and there's a lot of guys out there that'll answer any questions that you have. That's the nice thing about the uh, environment of those call makers. Ninety-five um, percent of them are just the best guys you'll ever meet, and if you have questions, they're going to answer them for you. Kind of help you go the right way. Um, Jeff McCamey is one of my favorites with Twisting Creek Calls in Chattanooga. Um, Marlon Watkins has always been a pleasure to deal with. Kevin Rouse makes some of the best wing bones. Like, I've got a list. Clay Townsend. I could go on, and I know I'm leaving a few of them out because I, I collect turkey calls. Like, most women collect shoes. Um, but they're, they're just good guys. There's just good guys out there that will answer questions, you know, help you out, um, do, do anything for you. It's a, and and give you pointers and tips and, and I'll tell you what if you took a wild hen turkey and took them to convention and put them in those calling contests they'd lose they'd lose every time <laughs> um, so you don't have to you don't have to get intimidated and be worried about sounding perfect I mean I've heard some some jakes or hens out there that sounded like they were dying or choking on a corn cob or something I don't know so you don't necessarily have to be intimidated of trying to sound 100% perfect, um, but but just getting out there and just trying is what what matters more than anything. But yeah, any of those custom call guys will give you you know a lot of good advice. But it's just fun, and yeah. you get in it. It's it's just fun. Have you ever competed? Have you ever called or ever tried that? No, no, I'd lose <laughs> heartbeat. You think so? Because I mean, like you, I I've listened to a lot of competitions lately, and. Um, you know, what some, sometimes I am surprised who wins compared to the other, you know, and, and, and vice versa. Sometimes it's spot on. I mean, I, I'm really nervous to ever put myself out there and do that. Um, the Iowa deer classic is this weekend and there is a turkey, uh, calling competition and I've never done it. I mean, I'm, I'm literally just figuring out I can make turkey sounds with my mouth. Um, and I, for work, reached out to this guy who just so happens to be the one who's in charge of the turkey hunting, uh, turkey calling contest. And so I, I was asking him questions about like how it worked and stuff. And he was like, oh, you know, he's like, you should just do it. Like there's the open where it's anybody can just come up and do it. He's like, you should just do it. It doesn't, it, he's like, it's way more about participation than it is about you sounding perfect. But that just kind of scares the heck out of me. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it, I'm sure it's fun. Would I do it? Yeah, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Would I win? Probably not, because I've watched <laughs> a lot of these guys, you know, like yeah. Matt Van Sice. I've watched how he goes. Um, there's several other guys that I've watched, and, and they're just, they're just, you know, perfect, right. and I can't, and, but now to be right. fair, I've, everybody I've watched has been on, at convention, so it's been on that top tier level. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so all I'm really concerned about is that he's going to answer me. I know where he's at. and He kind of likes what I'm saying. Yep. So <laughs> if it ain't perfect, it ain't perfect. But um, I've, call, I've, I've taught a lot of people to call, and I can call on a bird. And I sound decent, I think, to myself. And some people think I sound better. But I don't care what I think or what the other person. I just want to, you know, as long as the turkey thinks I sound good, then we're, we're good to go. But. Right. Yeah. 
absolutely that's the most important thing i'm just curious like uh i've actually had it happen a couple times on this podcast where i get talking to someone and i find out they um are, like were a competitive caller of some kind i'm like oh my gosh and i had no idea so i just thought i would ask that's more for <laughs> companionship i think you know getting out in the fellowship and meeting people and, and developing those relationships that's what makes the calling competitions fun yeah i don't think it's gonna make you a better turkey hunter one way or another it's just a another way to enjoy our, what we like to do yeah yeah no i i i agree very much it doesn't necessarily make you a better hunter um at all uh just like it's another there's just so many things like you know if someone doesn't grow up hunting or maybe can't doesn't relate to it doesn't connect to it um and hunting season's over right like maybe deer hunting is over or turkey hunting's over and then that person's like well what else is there you know like well hunting's over you should be kind of like out of that mindset right and I think for people who love this and like grew up with it there's so many ways to be involved in the hunt when it's not even the season like training your dogs calling competitions practicing your calling looking up this stuff the fellowship part that you're talking about the connections and the friendships and uh that you make you know things like this right now uh you know talking and like learning from you and um building that connection with you like i'm i'm just like so excited that people like you exist <laughs> like i i i really am like i i feel like sometimes i the the more i do this stuff the the more badass people i meet but um for so long i felt like i'm in my little world of okay like i grew up hunting a lot all the different things that i could in iowa most people i grew up around who hunted just shotgun hunted deer nothing wrong with that but like there wasn't any conversation outside of the the party hunt having some beers um and and that's it once a year like we didn't you know they didn't talk about it it wasn't that interesting to them and so it just like is so cool to me to to know people like you who are multi-passionate working with dogs uh turkey hunting deer hunting teaching mentoring running like a kennel like that's so freaking cool to me like you live you live it you know well i've been very blessed with my family i mean uh, where we come from the the mountains of north carolina and tennessee so that's just you know, kind of, I want to say almost bred into us, just that love of the outdoors. Um, And we just find our passion at an early age and just roll with it. And, you know, luckily um, I have the ability to be able to speak to people, talk to people and and connect with people. So why not share all the experiences that my dad and my uncle and my family has bestowed on me and taught me? Well, I just feel uh, almost obligated to just share that with other people and just, just to extend it. Cause until you get out there and you know what your niche is, um, I mean, you could be a, a full outdoorsman and want to do everything, or you could focus on rabbits. You could post, focus on coon dogs. You could focus on Turkey, you know, it's, it's whatever, whatever you like the most. Um, but I, I always tell people, man, try it all. Cause you might try something that you never even thought of. And that might be the passion you call for. But until you go out there and try to try to experience it all, you might not ever know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I I think I used to kind of feel bad that I was trying everything, but I like. I mean, I'm just like obsessed with learning. But 
what I've gotten from that is I don't think there's really any type of hunting that I would stop doing, but I most definitely have developed favorites and I've also, you know, what I thought was going to be my thing, like we talked about earlier, you know, I really thought deer hunting, I, I love deer hunting. Like I'm not going to stop deer hunting. I love bow hunting. Um, I, I do love it, but it's not necessarily my favorite. Like I kind of assumed it was going to be, um, I just there's just different things I fell in love with and I wouldn't have known unless I put myself out there I just like the adventure of it all yeah 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 that's, uh, what, that's what makes it fun for me is just the adventures and getting out and having them and being able to share them with other people and having that you know deer camp everybody loves deer camp because everybody's sitting around uh shooting stories you know and and that's, that's the fun part of it and if you just sit put yourself out there and try different experiences it, it's all good in the end i mean we've all had those bad turkey hunts that make you mad but daggone a, a few months later you're sitting there talking about it and laughing at yourself yeah so it's just uh it, i don't know it's just fun just the adventure of it all is just a blast for me yeah that's awesome um would you have any words of advice uh for those who uh want to get into beagling or hounds and ones that want to get into turkey hunting it could be the same piece of advice or different, however you want to attack it. Patience for both of them, honestly. doesn't matter if you're wanting to hound or if you're wanting to turkey hunt. You're going to have to have patience. Um, you're going to make mistakes. Um, it might not be easy, but have patience. Take it a step at a time and just enjoy it, you know, um, and, and you'll just kind of grow into, into who you are as an outdoorsman. But the patience is the biggest part of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, what is your What is your next adventure? What do you got coming up? Oh gosh, um, we have a South Carolina turkey hunt. I still need to get my uh, Osceola so I can finally finish my Grand Slam. That's the only thing I'm, I'm lacking for my Grand Slam is my Osceola. So that's kind of a venture that might be this year or next year. Uh, we're wanting to go to Alabama and run some swamp rabbits this year. Talk to you about going to Iowa. I found those hares, or not those hares, those uh, jackrabbits up there. I want to see what my dogs are doing to jackrabbit. Probably nothing, but it'll be fun. Like, I've got all kinds of ideas. So, <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, we got a few different things planned. Um, so I got to finish my Grand Slam first before I start going after other big animal stuff. So that's that's a, a goal of mine that I'm looking to hopefully fulfill pretty soon. So yeah, that's uh, that's uh, I'm not even anywhere close. I just uh, have Easterns, but um, that's that's my top like hunting goal, like bucket list, um, is a turkey. North America Grand Slam for sure. That's so awesome. I'm excited for you. Oh, they're fun. After I get my Grand Slam, I'll go into my World Slam because there's something very appealing to me about that oscillated turkey in South America. That's just a beautiful bird. Um, so I'll eventually venture down there and find one of those guys too. But I got to finish my Grand Slam first before I start going across the border. Yeah, so cool. So that's awesome. Um, I I really hope that we can connect in in Iowa and like. I'm just excited to see, uh, like what you do. And I really appreciate your time. Like I feel like there's so many things that we could have talked about and, um, I just appreciate you taking the time to give like advice and share your story. It's, it's great. Well, I appreciate you having me. I have a, I have a, I have a fun time sitting there and just having a conversation and, 
I'm a preacher's daughter, so sometimes I might be a little long-winded like Daddy is, but um, as long as it's a good conversation, I'm all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you do to, like, teach people and, like, be motivating and approach it in such, such like, a positive way. Like, you're it, – it, it makes it easier for, <clears throat> for people when they can have someone that has the patience and desire to take them out and is approachable, so – Thank you for doing that. Um, uh, I just uh, like having a good time with it. So, <laughs> uh, how can people find you and like find your adventures? You know, reach out to you. What's the best way? Um, I have, of course, I'm on Facebook. A lot of people find me through there. Um, I have a kennel page for Light 'em Up Kennels on Facebook. Um, I don't promote myself too much, but. You can find me on there for any, you know, if I do any turkey adventures, hunting adventures, it's usually on there. Um, some of my stuff's been put on Artemis. Uh, some of my stuff's been put on Tennessee Wildlife Federation. So there's, diff- there's different ones. But if anybody ever wants to have a conversation or have some questions, they can definitely find me on Facebook. My, you know, Mary Lynn or, or a lot of up kennels in uh, Greenback, Tennessee. Um, anybody can reach out to me there and, and we can have a conversation or, you know, if you have any questions or anything that's that's where you're gonna find me at so awesome well thank you so much for being a guest on here and we we appreciate you and good luck turkey hunting (laughs) all right i appreciate it (laughs) one more time a big thank you mary lynn appreciate your time working with me through some of those technical difficulties and sharing your love of hounds beagles hunting everything uh there's lots of us out there who who need that need that friend need that mentor and we're so grateful for you and i'm so grateful for all of you that listened and that continue to listen and show up and 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 hear me ramble on i appreciate the heck out of you and until next time get out there guys <laughs>